Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. Philippians chapter 4, in case you use one of our pew Bibles, uh, you can find that on page 982. It is good to be back with you this, this morning. I appreciated Jimmy filling in for me last week, and I hope you're not disappointed, but I'm not going to be climbing on any ladders while I preach. I, I don't do stunts while preaching, and as I was watching him, I just kept thinking, oh no, oh no. I thought, at the you know, best case scenario, we can send it into America's Funniest Home Video and at least get 10000 to put towards the lawsuit, but, um, uh, but no. I appreciated him filling in. Uh, Good to be back. But as we moved into chapter 4 of the letter to the Philippians a couple weeks ago, Paul drew the main body of this letter to a close after explaining for some time about what it looks like for Christians to live their lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And now this morning, Paul is going to take what he has written in the main body of the letter and he's going to apply it to a specific situation in the Philippian church. And so we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we are going to pick up by reading verse 2. Paul writes, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And so as we pick back up again this morning, Paul calls on two women in the church who are having a significant disagreement to reconcile with one another. He says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So apparently part of the report that Epaphroditus has brought to Paul about the church in Philippi includes the fact that these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, were at odds with each other. So Paul turns to address their situation here. Now I have to say, this is a passage that raises far more questions than it gives us answers. There is a lot that we do not know about what's happening here. And so, for instance, who are these women? Well, we don't know. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, and so this is the only place in the Bible where we encounter them. And we will see in verse 3 that they have had a significant role to play of some kind in Paul's ministry in the past. But other than that, we don't really know anything about them. Nor do we know what it was they were arguing about. Paul doesn't spell it out in this letter, and obviously he didn't need to because all of the Philippians already knew what was going on, what he's referring to. So to summarize, a couple of women we don't know anything about are arguing about something we don't know anything about. And on first glance, that may not seem to be a recipe for for deep, impactful Bible study, but really I think that what's not here in this passage actually sets the stage for what we can know about this passage. So for one, while we don't know who these women are and we don't know what they're arguing about, the fact that Paul feels the need to address this situation indicates that that while this problem may have started between these two people, it's now beginning to have a larger impact on the church as a whole. So perhaps the church is becoming divided as people choose to support Euodia or they rally behind Syntyche. Or perhaps the church is simply being distracted 
as time spent fighting with each other is time that's not spent uh, engaging in ministry and discipleship. Whatever the specifics are, this disagreement is clearly threatening the mission of the church. So Paul has to address it. Secondly, we don't know who these women are. We don't know what they're arguing about. But you'll also notice that Paul doesn't give a pronouncement about the situation. He doesn't take a side. He just tells them to agree. And we'll come back around to what that means in just a minute. But this silence on his part is significant. The fact that Paul doesn't say what they should do. Because that indicates that whatever it is that they're arguing about, it isn't really that important. If it was important, and certainly if it was an issue of doctrine or practice, then, then Paul would take a side, or he would give instructions about the issue, which is what he's been doing throughout the whole course of this letter. If it was important, he would say, hey, you know, Syntyche is right about this. Or, or he might say, here's what you need to do in this particular situation. But he doesn't do that. And again, this is significant because it indicates that this is an argument over something where there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong answer. In other words, this conflict appears to be an issue of personal preference between these two women. So maybe Euodia and Syntyche both want to be the head of the party planning committee. Or or maybe both of their Sunday school classes want to use the same room. Or perhaps Euodia likes hymns, but Syntyche prefers contemporary music. Whatever it is, both of these women are elevating their personal preferences to the level of principle. They're both angling to get what they want the way that they want it. And the church is beginning to be negatively impacted as a result. And for Paul, it doesn't matter what you do in any of these situations. What matters to him is unity in the church and a focus on discipleship. So whatever it is that they're arguing about, they need to stop arguing and get back on track. This understanding of the situation is further confirmed by what Paul does tell these women. We see that he entreats them to agree in the Lord. Now, entreat is a word that is softer than a command. He's not ordering them to do this necessarily, but he's not just asking them either. There's an urgency, a sense of of, uh, importance to this word. This is something that needs to happen. So Paul uh, entreats them uh, lovingly and and fondly to agree in the Lord. And so uh, as he calls them, Uh, to agree, we might think at first that he's just telling them to to figure it out, sort it out between the two of you. But behind the translation, we actually have a specific application being made from Paul's previous call for unity in the church back in chapter 2. And so if you remember in chapter 2, we saw uh, that Paul appealed for unity within the church. Not uniformity, but unity. And we saw that one of the ways that is achieved is by having the same mind, which we saw is is a term referring to a particular mindset or a perspective in our relationships. And Paul explained that this mindset should lead us to think of one another as more important than ourselves. It should lead us to not do anything out of a sense of selfish ambition or conceit. Not only to look out for our own interests, but for the interests of others. 
and to love one another, being willing to sacrifice for the benefit of one another. This mindset means that we must be willing to put our personal preferences aside. We saw the the example, the incredible example of Jesus doing exactly that by leaving the glories of heaven to come to earth and die for our sins. And that call to have the same mind is the exact same thing that Paul is calling Euodia and Syntyche to here. What we translate as agree in the Lord is actually to have the same mind in the Lord. And so Paul applies everything that he's written in this letter specifically to this situation. Whatever these ladies are disagreeing over, Paul calls them to stop seeking their own personal preferences and to look to serve one another instead. Now, before we move on, I think it's important that we see that Paul is willing to get uncomfortable when the situation calls for it. I'll never forget the dread that I felt when I heard the beep of the loudspeaker go off in my fifth grade classroom, followed by a voice that said, Mrs. King, would you please send Travis Hood to the office, please? Thank you. Before I even had a chance to get up, a a host of 11-year-old voices joined together in saying, ooh. And so it didn't matter why somebody got called to the office. It could have been good or bad, but everybody just assumed that you were in trouble. And so it was always an embarrassing thing to get called out in class. So imagine Euodia and Syntyche's reaction when they hear their names as this letter is being read out loud to the church. You see, Paul just put this situation on record. Going going forward, there's going to be accountability here because everybody's going to be watching now to see what Euodia and Syntyche do with this. And there are few things that are less American than than making an issue out of other people's business. It feels awkward. It's usually considered to be impolite. We really hesitate to do that. But we see here that Paul is willing to get uncomfortable when the situation calls for it. This this issue is negatively affecting the church, which means in the bigger picture it is negatively impacting the kingdom. And so Paul brings it to a head, and he calls for action. There's a lesson for us here, and we're going to see that more as we move into verse 3. And so we'll pick up by reading verse 3. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So as we move into verse 3, Paul calls on a third party to step in and work with Euodia and Syntyche in the process of reconciling. He says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. And the term true companion implies that the person Paul is addressing here is someone that he's very close with, somebody he has an above average amount of trust in. So who is this? Well, again, we don't know. Uh, In fact, one of the great mysteries of the New Testament is the identity of Paul's true companion. And you probably won't be surprised that over the centuries there have been all kinds of theories about who this is. And so some people have suggested that he is talking to Lydia, who was the the first person to believe the gospel in Philippi, and from what we can tell, the person who hosted the church in her home. Some people that think that it's referring specifically to one of the overseers in the church, one of the pastors in Philippi. 
The fact that true companion is sometimes used to refer to a spouse has led some people to suggest that Paul is speaking to his wife here. Some people think he's referring to Luke. Uh, Personally, without knowing a, a name, I assume that it's referring to whoever Paul instructed Epaphroditus to deliver this letter to. But at the end of the day, there's simply no way for us to be sure. Obviously, the individual and the rest of the Philippians understood who he was referring to. But whoever it is, Paul asks this person to come alongside Euodia and Syntyche as a mediator to work with them to come to an agreement. Now, don't miss the middle of verse 3, which I alluded to earlier, where Paul affirms Euodia and Syntyche as women who have had a significant role to play. He says, they have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And again, we don't know the specifics of what that means. Uh, But clearly, in some form or fashion, Euodia and Syntyche have played a significant role in evangelism and discipleship and have supported Paul's ministry in the past. And that tells us something that I think is, is very key for us to see, and that's that these women are not new believers. Right? These, are, these are not immature believers. Yodia and Syntyche are people that Paul trusts. That They are people who have proven themselves over the course of time in the past. And, and that should show us that even mature believers can get sidetracked. This can happen to anybody. You may have been following Jesus for a long time. If we're not careful, all of us can get uh, tripped up by our own personal preferences and engage in divisive conflict. And so this is something that we have to be intentionally on guard against in our hearts. Then finally, as Paul closes out the section, you'll notice that he refers to Clement and to the rest of his uh, fellow workers. And you're not going to believe this, but we don't know anything about what he's talking about here, that we don't know who these people are or the circumstances surrounding it. All that we know is what he goes on to say, which is that all of their names are written in the book of life. Now, both the Old and New Testaments refer to a book, and in that book are the names of all of those uh, who are among God's people, the, the names of everyone who is going to be saved on the day of judgment. So there's a record in heaven of every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus for salvation and what he has done for them through his life, death, and resurrection. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, John actually tells us that this book was written before the world was even created. Now, this might seem like a random place for Paul to bring up the book of life, unless, of course, he has a purpose for it. Now, why would it matter that each of their names had been written in the book of life? Well, I think there could be several reasons. For one, I think it matters that their names have been written in the book of life because that reminds them that they've been reconciled to God despite their sin. And if God can love and accept us through faith in Jesus, then there's no level of conflict that we are unable to work through in our own relationships with one another. I think it matters that their names are written in the book of life because that reminds them that what unites them as believers is much greater than whatever it is they're currently allowing to divide them. It matters that their names have been written in the book of life because it reminds them that while they have a part in the story, the story is not ultimately about them. It's all about God. And so by extension, the church is not all about them either. 
It matters that their names are written in the book of life because that reminds them of the fact that there is a battle to be fought, but that it's not against each other. It's a spiritual battle against the powers of Satan and the world and our own sinful flesh. There may be other reasons as well, but whatever the reasons are that that Paul has in mind, uh, the the result is, is that his reference to the book of life is designed to move their focus off of themselves and put it back on the big picture where it belongs, on Jesus and his kingdom. So as they are reminded afresh of what everything is ultimately about, everything else will get put back in its proper perspective. And so Paul calls this true companion to help Euodia and Syntyche work through their disagreement. We've, we've already seen that he's not afraid to get uncomfortable when he believes that the situation calls for it. And here we're reminded that we have a role to play in the lives of our fellow members. Right? Part of the responsibility of church membership is helping one another follow Jesus. And sometimes that means coming alongside of each other when we are struggling. Again, as Americans, we often hesitate to do this. But, but oftentimes, we really need somebody who will love us enough to approach us and say, hey, you're making a big mess of things right now. How can I help you get back on track? How can I help you follow Jesus in this situation? And this isn't new. We've seen this. We saw in Colossians that Paul expects us to teach and admonish one another, right? Instructing in what is correct and correcting what is wrong, right? At the end of 1 Thessalonians, we saw that Paul called the church, and again, not just the pastors of the church, but the church as a whole, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. We are reminded of the fact that discipleship is a community project. It's a community project. We need each other, not just for encouragement and praise, but also sometimes for correction as well, loving correction. When we see a, a brother or sister tangled up in some form of sin, or when we see members engaging in in behavior activity that threatens to disrupt the unity of the church, we are called to get involved. However awkward it may be, the spiritual well-being of the people involved and the well-being of the church as a whole is worth it. And so in our passage this morning, Paul brings everything he has written in this letter to, to bear on a particular situation within the church at Philippi. He calls on Yoda and Syntyche to agree in the Lord, and he calls on another member of the church to step in and help them in that process. And as he does this, we are reminded both by his words and by his example that we are all uh, responsible to pursue unity in the church as well. Right? We, t- we talked about this a few weeks ago, but there are just so many opportunities So many temptations for us to absolutize our opinions and to elevate our personal preferences to to the level of principle. Then we we begin fighting to get what we want, the way we want it. The, The flow of the service, the way the church is decorated, any number of things that really aren't a big deal can become a big deal that tears away at the unity of the church. And as we've seen this morning, 
This is a lifelong struggle. Just as Euodia and Syntyche were seasoned believers who nevertheless got caught up in their own personal preferences, even those of us who have been following Jesus for some time can still get tripped up and sidetracked and begin making the church about ourselves. And so what we see in our passage is that we have to take responsibility to guard our hearts, to be intentional about guarding our hearts against selfishness. And we have to take seriously the responsibility to get involved if we see other members of our church falling into that trap. We don't all have to share the same opinions about everything, but we do have to share the same mindset. We need to agree in the Lord and love one another. As we've said before, when the scriptures speak clearly to an issue, then we want to pursue that wholeheartedly. But when it comes to issues of personal preference, then we need to seek to serve one another and follow the example of our Lord, which is actually something that the scriptures speak to very clearly. And so as we're reminded of this this morning, let's continue to fight against selfishness in our own hearts. And let's ask the Lord to bless our church with unity. Let's pray together.